Today on the show, we're talking about student debt. Welcome to the Simple Money Solutions Podcast, where we focus on your money from a Canadian perspective. This podcast is produced weekly and released every Monday. Show notes for every episode can be found at livelifesimple.ca. Now let's get on with the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Simple Money Solutions. I'm your host, Courtney, and joining me today, as always, is our co-host, Trevor, and this is episode 30. Yeah, before we get into the show, I just want to uh, comment on that we did receive some feedback from a few listeners, and we appreciate hearing from you, and um, one of our most recent comments was about improving our sound quality, and we really appreciate the feedback from our listeners. This podcast started out as simply an idea from Trevor, who have always, has always wanted to start a podcast, but was looking for a co-host, which is how I got involved. But we've been quickly blown away by how the show has taken off, and we have you to thank for it. We we have you to thank for it, because without you returning every week, this wouldn't even be a show. Thank you to all the listeners who have been with us since episode one, and all the other listeners who keep joining us every week, all helping to share the Simple Money Solutions message. And that's another thing we wanted to talk with you today about, is that, yes, we have an intro, but... We wanted to better define our message and what we hope you're taking away from our podcast every week. And that message is that finances don't have to be complicated. They can be as easy as you want to make them. And because there is so much information out there about personal finances, and maybe you're not sure where to look or who to listen to, we just hope to bring you a real, honest, simplified, down-to-earth perspective from maybe an alternative viewpoint that isn't perpetuated by the mainstream news. So, but back to the original listener comment about uh, the feedback we're receiving about the show. It was regarding our audio quality. And I, I, we're aware of our audio quality. We're, we're quite passionate about this podcast. And now that it's really taking off, we're going to put some investment into some uh, higher-end equipment, higher-end software to improve the, the, the sound quality of the show. But we really appreciate the feedback from the listeners. And when we do upgrade our quality, we want to feedback on that too is it is it meeting the listeners need and lastly before we get into today's topic we just want to say congratulations to everyone who has made it this far into frugality february if you've listened to last week's episode you will know that trevor said he's finally over all his coffee buying cravings and that same feeling actually hit me this week it's amazing how if you get over the little adjustment period you're fine so this is definitely a learning lesson when it comes to anything, other spendings and eating, exercise, you name it. Everything boils down to if you stick with something for long enough, it'll feel normal and you'll get there. Well, I want to say I had an extremely close call yesterday. Uh, I I was out with my wife and we were on our way to visit some friends and we were driving by a Tim Hortons and she said, do you want to grab a coffee on the way? And I almost, I'm talking my my hand was on the blinker, but I, I, I just had a weak, I, I didn't have a weak moment. I didn't succumb to it, but I, I, I almost felt victim. But, so I, I, I had a close call. And if you are a listener or, having, or have had any close calls as well, you're not alone. Trevor and I are, again, still still trying to make this challenge work, and luckily we are. So on today's show, this week's topic comes in response to the Minimalist latest podcast episode on finances. Now, Trevor and I are massive fans of everything they do and stand for, but we do want to dissect and comment on their philosophy of debt, that any debt is bad debt. So Trevor, right off the bat, before we even delve into today's issue of student debt, 
I'm sure you can agree that generally debt should be avoided at all costs. Oh, absolutely. I mean, debt is just a, a burden that you, you carry with you mentally and, and financially. It, it just follows you everywhere. It just it weighs on your conscience. It, it's, it affects your health. I mean, it, 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 it is nothing but negativity in your life. Before we jump into the idea of student debt, let's just talk about debt in general. Is there any any time that debt is actually justifiable? Well, if you think about debt, is it is a tool to leverage money. If you think about it debt that way, you would only borrow money to buy something that is going to go up in value. But by not incurring the debt and buying it now, you will you will have lost a wealth opportunity. Alternatively, people borrow money to buy things that go down in value. I will say something like a car. And you, you buy it today at a certain price, and two years from now, that thing you bought is worth less, but you still owe the same amount of money. That's, that's the opposite of leveraging money. So that would be bad debt, and I, I think that's a horrible thing to borrow money for. What if you need that car in order to, say, get to a job? What do you do in that case? Well, you know, there's a podcast out there. It's called the Cash Car... I uh, can't remember the name of it. It's called the Cash Car something. It's, it's a podcast. Uh, it's an American-based podcast, but the philosophies would, would hold true in Canada. But this guy's whole philosophy is he only pays cash for a car. And he he's found countless examples where you can buy a car for $5,000 and you know save up the money, save up $5,000, buy a car cash, drive it. And while you're driving that car, you can save up money to buy a better car. And then when you buy that better car, you can save up money to even buy a better car. And before you know it, you're driving a, a $18,000 car. But if you borrow the money to buy that car, you're pay- all you're going to be doing is spending your time paying that money back plus interest. So... I think you could you could pay cash for a car, and I think everybody should. And I asked that specific question because I, I'm speaking for all our skeptical listeners out there who are saying, but Trevor, debt is necessary sometimes. I mean, but I like how you burst that bubble on that. And we're lucky that we live in Canada, too, in that healthcare expenses is not considered one of our uh, costs that we need to pay potentially debt with credit for. Well, it, in the way that that's an example of something that doesn't go that goes, de- you know, I mean, you can't put a value on on healthcare if we had to pay for it. I mean, obviously, you're not going to die over borrowing money, but I, I just, if you keep that mindset, if it goes up in value, it's okay to borrow money for it, but it's 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 obviously not ideal. And if it goes down in value, it's not okay to borrow money for it. So I think if we're going to run with that with today's topic. Uh, and zeroing in on student debt, the minimalists take the stance that student loan debt is still debt and debt in their mind is always bad. So obviously saying this, we highly respect Josh and Ryan's viewpoints, but can you comment on their philosophy? I think you could go to school and not incur debt. It's possible if you were able to live with your parents and go to a local school and get a uh, uh, an education that way, and work part-time, you know, it, you might be able to pull it off. It would be very stressful time. It would be, it would be very challenging, but it, it could be done. But in terms of borrowing money for an education, that is a, a prime example of leveraging money. I mean, by, by borrowing the money to get the education, you're just going to 
increase your earning potential once you get that degree or diploma. So you would have to say that there, in some cases, such as education, there is such thing as good debt then. It is good debt. It, it, and I'm going to say, if if you're getting a, a I'm going to call it a, a generic BA uh, in, in something not very specific because you're going to go in onto a post-grad degree, then if if that if just say you're getting a a BA in history and you want to become a history teacher maybe you don't need to go away for the 4 years to get that first BA you just need to go away for your teachers college so, so there there's a way to minimize the cost of education which would in essence minimize the borrowing definitely and if we look into um, I've found a great article it's by uh, Amanda Riom and this is actually from the Huffington Post, but it's so applicable to what we're talking about today. It's called, I graduated debt-free with $40,000 in the bank. Here's how. So I just want to say, I'm a student right now for all the listeners who are maybe just joining us this week. So student debt is so real. I mean, as a student living with other students, that's basically all you hear about. So Trevor, do you, are you astonished with just like the title of this article, $40,000 in the bank and debt-free? Well, you know, I, I'm not sure how the math works on that because I, I can't, I can't do the. I can't see how a student can go to school without their parents' support and come out the other end uh, debt-free. Forget having accumulated income. I, she, you know, somebody you would have had to sac- make a, a, an awful lot of sacrifices, working almost a full-time job and going to school to accomplish something like that. And in this article, we'll post it in our show notes so you can go check it out after. But just to highlight a few key points. In the article, she said that she uh, she made a lot of sacrifices. She was frugal. We'll, go, we'll kind of like break it down in a bit. But she did at one point hold multiple part-time jobs while in school. So she really did make sacrifices in order to make this work. But my question for you, Trevor, is do you think, I mean, actually, let's go back. Were you, what, what, tell us a little bit about your student experience. Well, I, I had the luxury of, there was a, uh, I was able to live at home and, and with my parents and, and go to school. So, and my parents funded all my education. So there was no, no uh, student debt that, that I had to incur, but I have kids that went off to university. And I just want to say one thing that having done it my way and seeing my kids go off to university and the added costs of, of, you know, um, apartments and residence and food plans and groceries. I think that's a growing experience for, for somebody that age. It's a nice way to transition out of living with your parents to living on your own because it's kind of a, a slow transition where your parents are funding aspects of your life while you're in school and then you come at the other end educated and get your own job and you start funding your own life. So I think it's an it's a opportunity for your, your, a, a student or a child to, to learn about life um, in a very gentle way. I know we're going to have some listeners out there who are totally against what you're saying. We have some, again, who are like Amanda featured in this article who paid her way through. And then we have some, we'll have some listeners who maybe are actually funding their child's education or, or have been the recipient of a funded education. But do you believe that your children are, is, are learning just as much as that student who is funding their own education responsibility wise and personal finance wise? Well, you know, I always go back to my wife on, on a lot of these shows I talk about. So my wife, she left home uh, at a very young age, uh, no education, just worked 
uh, part-time jobs and, and ended up getting an education. But uh, so I had the luxury of, of following her in her footsteps and she had blazed the trail for me. So she was my soft landing into the real world when, when I left home. You know, she sort of, you know, had figured out how to pay all the bills and, and worry about all the the uh, ad, uh, adult things that I, I was oblivious to. And uh, so looking, looking back, my, my kids are now learning about those things slowly as they're in school and, and approaching graduation. So I, I never had to go through that be, because my wife had, had sort of given me that soft landing. Are you, in the back of your mind, are you ever worried that your children, because you are funding their education, are maybe not going to turn out this the same responsibility-wise as that other child who is working for their education themselves? Well, the one thing, my kids are away at school. It's not a, a blank check they're getting to sp- spend money with. They, they're working in, in what I consider a fairly tight budget, and there's no frills in, in their lifestyle. So I think they're they're um, being conditioned to the real world. Um, I, I try to phase it in slowly. The first year was pretty, I'll call it luxurious. And the, the second year, they signed up for some more expenses. And then in the third year, even more. And, and the fourth year, even more. So it's kind of a transitioning uh, responsibility to them. So yeah, I'm hoping it's, it's going to work out. Um, you mentioned your, your children, are, or, or at least one child, is getting ready to graduate. If you had to do this again what would you do differently or would you send your children down the same path that they're down? I, I would go the same because my youngest one, it, she's doing her first year and uh, in, in, in she uh, didn't, she chose to not live on residence and have the food plan and all that stuff. And I think it was a tough adjustment for her. Whereas my, my other children, they went to residence and had the food plan and then they got their own apartment in their second year. So I, I think Looking back at how, how the two are unfolding, I think the living on residence and then having an apartment, that sort of transition, it, it, from an per, uh, observation standpoint, I think it worked better. It cost, so more. it cost more, but I think it worked better. Definitely. Oh, because there is so much expense to that first year. Trevor, can you walk us through the process of your children not having the the debt weighing over their heads, but... What's the consequences on you and your wife? Well, we've, we're living an equally frugal lifestyle as we cash flow their education. Uh, I, and also, I don't want to be jet-setting all over the world and then expecting my kids to live uh, on an extremely tight budget. That wouldn't be fair either. So um, I, I just think it's important for them to not, to not graduate with debt because what, what's going to happen is if you graduate with debt, you're going to take jobs based on the ability to repay that debt, not, not jobs that are going to help you grow professionally or help you, or you might find enjoyable or interesting. You'll be looking for a job that actually will help you I- eliminate that debt as quickly as possible. And it could even be out of your educational field. And if, if you're out of your educational field too long, your education actually begins to expire. It's actually, uh, that's a fantastic point that Amanda actually brought up in this article and it was is leading the whole article off on reasons why she took these extreme measures to ensure that she stayed debt, fri- debt free um, throughout her post-secondary degree. And uh, what do you think, Trevor? Do you think that the hardships you face for, or even you and your wife, because it sounds like you and your wife do face these, these hardships, making sure that your children are educated, but 
are those hardships worth the end result or are those hardships worth the, the monetary investment? Well, me and my wife have a philosophy. Pay me now or pay me later. At the end of the day, you're not going to watch your children suffer and starve and, and live uh, undue hardship in their lives. So if you don't give them the tools to survive in society today, meaning an education, you're going to end up helping them the rest of their lives or feel obligated to help them the rest of their lives if they didn't get an education because you denied them the opportunity. So I, I just think it's a pay me now or pay me later scenario. It, it's going to cost you one way or another. And for, for all our parent, parents who are listening right now and maybe want to be able to fund their child's education, I know we've talked about this in the past, but can you walk through for our listeners kind of the process you and your wife have taken to be able to afford to put your children through school? Well, what, the way we've approached it is we wanted to uh, put ourselves in a position to cash flow, meaning pay their expenses as they came up while they were in school. And the way we were able to accomplish that is by re eliminating our personal debt. So no car payments, no consumer loans, no consumer debt, no mortgage. So that frees up a lot of money. That's like a fire hose of cash that we can pour into education. And, and w at the end, when all the kids are graduated, nobody will have any debt. We'll all be debt-free, uh, my kids and me and my wife. That's a fantastic all in philosophy where the whole family is in it together that's amazing well i mean the word family is is you're you're you're, you're all caring about each other right nobody's in it alone right that's the whole family mentality we've kind of had in in our family is is we're in this together so we're we're gonna see it through at what age or at what age that your children were at did you start thinking about their education i mean i'm just thinking about our listeners right now about maybe how soon they should start planning well we had a plan to uh have our so our plan was i just i didn't randomly pick a number but we we had our, our mortgage we were going to pay off in 15 years and that 15 years was really timed out when the our kids would be heading off to university or college so it it, it you, I, I'm going to say we have to start thinking about it 15 years before it happened. So it, it ha it's a long-term plan, that's for sure. From what I'm hearing, though, it even started before that 15-year mark in that you bought a house with a mortgage that would allow you to pay that mortgage off in 15 years. Well, you, can, you can't overextend yourself if you're going to have any long-term plan of it like that. You, you, uh, you, I'll say when we bought the house, we, we knew we were buying... The, the bank was going to give us a lot more money than what we borrowed, and they always seem to. Uh, we're, ju we're just very conservative people. We weren't, we weren't about to overextend ourselves. But if we would have bought a more expensive house, we, we would have just ramped up our uh, mortgage payment plan and, and decreased our lifestyle to, to get to the same end result. So uh, the article we chose to focus on today was, I graduated debt-free with 40000 in the bank. Here's how by Amanda Riom. It's from the Huffington Post. And we'll I'll have it all into the show notes so you can go check it out after. But she highlighted some really great points about how you can get through uh, through post-secondary debt-free. And these these points that she lists are very simple, straightforward, and aren't actually that hard. But I feel like the challenge to achieving getting out of post-secondary debt-free is to live that life that's not... I mean, Trevor, I don't know about you, but in my post-secondary experience, it's been the live it to the fullest and make these four years count. And that always involves spending money. 
Well, you know, you only get really one shot at this uh, um, post-secondary educational life, and it can be a lot of fun. And I, I don't, th- I don't think I'd recommend somebody miss out on on their their university or college years, working uh, the equivalent of a full-time job, and, and missing out on that because it, it's you can you have the rest of your life to make money. But you, you do need to enjoy those uh, those college university years because they're they're pretty special. You make some life lifelong friends, and uh, you 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 it's really a coming of age time. And and I don't think it should be wasted working a job to to make more money more money than you need to pay your bills. Definitely, and uh, there is uh, there has to be a happy medium. I mean, the norm is that students hold a part time job. And then they go to school and just can make ends meet. But I do agree with you that in this case, for the specific example at post-secondary, that in this case, debt is maybe okay. Well, you know, another thing I want to say is you'd be hard-pressed to find people who look back at their college or university years and and don't sort of laugh at the um, how poor they were or, or how little money they had or how they, they found fun things to do that didn't cost any money. And a lot of them will look back at that as a very enjoyable time in their life. So not having money or, or, or being frugal, I mean, it, it can bring back a lot of, you know, memories that, that you might not look back as, as negative ones. Oh, for sure. That's, I mean, the, the funny running joke at any with any students are the poverty-stricken student life. That's And because you're all in it together and all in the same boat. So I think it's the most acceptable time time period of your life to be this poverty-stricken individual and you know I, I always wonder how people fall off the rails if they were able to live that frugally for four years and then as soon as they graduate they go out and buy a $65,000 truck you know if they could just keep that mindset going for another four years they'd set themselves up for um, uh, you know a, a pretty a pretty good future oh exactly and I know we've touched on this in a past episode, we, we discussed that it, four years of conditioning of living this lifestyle and all of a sudden it, they just pretend it didn't exist. And I do agree that, I mean, you take the minimalist story, if, if any of our listeners listen to the minimalist, how they, they spent their younger years living in, in, in a, a more deprived lifestyle. And then all of a sudden they have their six figure income jobs and they're, they're spending like crazy and they're acquiring things. So I get it is, that contrast between have and have not. But, you know, if you can do that for four years, it's just society telling you that you you should only do that for as long as as you have to. If you could do it for four years, you and, and I mean, these people aren't looking like they've been starving or they're not dressed in, in, in rags um, when they graduate from, from college or university. I, if you could just keep that going and, and live in that same student type of housing your future would be set. Oh, but you hit it right there, Trevor. It's all about what society tells you you should be doing. Society tells you that living that student life is not a long-term sustainable one when in reality it actually could be. Yeah, no, I I think uh, the the sad thing is if you manage to graduate uh, post-secondary with no debt, statistically, I got to think after the, you land that first job, you just take on a whole pile of debt. Most people do. And, and that, that's the, the sadness of it. Oh, yeah. Because 
you've you've been deprived for so long that all of a sudden that first but, taste of freedom and but that's and the word use the word deprived and as long oh, yeah. as you see it as being deprived you you're 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 destined to to uh rack up debt but don't tell me that these students who are working the equivalent of a full-time job going to school and and being debt-free well in post-secondary aren't feeling deprived of those fun experiences but you could spin that in into conditioning you know they've been conditioned to live uh, a more frugal more purpose-driven lifestyle not a deprived you know it's all how you spin it and it's all how that individual sees it as well i mean if again if if the author of this this article we're looking at today has felt deprived all through post-secondary because she's been working and saving so much and missing out on the experiences and this this person is deprived i mean they they've they've denied themselves all sorts of things in in the interest of accumulating money that they didn't actually need. So, so yeah, it's all about how far you're going to push yourself to be, to graduate college debt-free. And I think, Trevor, we have to look at, there is, is a reason why, why there aren't as many people graduating post-secondary without debt than there are with. Yeah, it, it's, it's a, I don't know the statistic, but I, I know... People, my my kids go to school with, when I hear the things that, so I, I know some situations where the parents are funding the, the child's education, but the child is still taking the OSAP loan and spending it on, you know, winter breaks down to Florida or gaming systems. So the, a lot of times their, their education is being completely cash flowed by their parents, but they're still spending the uh, OSAP loans, student loans on lifestyle. Oh, yeah, I, I cannot tell you the amount of students and friends that I have that they live that lifestyle. So, and, and that goes back to my earlier question to you, Trevor. If your kids are taking their education for granted, but if your kids aren't doing those things that those other students are doing, then it sounds like they're not. No, well, it's for, I, I know they're not because the OSAP, if there was an OSAP loan, I, I'm actually keeping that money from them to save them from themselves. And again, that's a great strategy. Things like joint bank accounts or, or transferring money out as soon as it gets put into the account, the student's account for the parent are great strategies to make sure the OSAP money is actually going to the right place. You know, one thing we haven't talked about is the the, the students that do take on student debt and don't end up, they, they actually don't graduate. And and by not graduating, so they incurred all the debt and say they got through three years and they, they just couldn't continue for whatever reason. They lost interest or their grades didn't hold up. And they end up dropping out, but they've incurred all this debt. The, the sad part of that is they don't end up with the uh, job that delivers the income to help pay off that debt. You know, they might end up with a, a minimum wage job. And it makes that paying off that student loan even more insurmountable because it never actually delivered the degree or diploma. That's a phenomenal point, and I'm really glad you brought that up because that you, I mean, you hear individuals 30, 40, 50 years old still holding on to their student debt. It could be A, because they don't have the income to pay it off, or B, they haven't made paying off that debt a priority. Yeah, it's probably B, uh, they haven't made it a priority more often than not. You know, they, they make these loans interest free, uh, I think, up until six months after they graduate in Canada anyway, or maybe Ontario. And that, that um, I'm sure that, that interest-free, uh, people hear that and then they, they don't listen to the deadline. 
at the other end and they they fall into the trap thinking it's interest free oh for sure i'm definitely i'm positive that happens trevor so to get back to the article and the strategies that the student used to get out of uh, post-secondary debt free so their first is scholarships and i and she she really hammers home the point that there are millions of dollars at least in canada that go unawarded every year due to lack of applicants so she makes a great case for applying and and that the myth of oh scholarships aren't worth a lot or or won't turn out the turnout won't be that um significant is all false i mean I, I, t- I talk to friends and they they receive an absorbent amounts of money through scholarships and it's definitely an incredible resource. Yeah, it just it's just effort, right? It takes a lot of effort and it takes initiative on on the students' uh, part. And I mean, this would be high school students applying for these scholarships primarily. And you know, they're at high school. You've you've got a lot of things going on and you're not maybe as responsible as as you are when you're in, in university or college, but. Uh, it's effort, but I, I think it, it also looks good on a resume. I mean, when you graduated, you can also put that you earned scholarships. So it, it has a, a, an additional functionality if you're actually able to get them. There are also scholarships when you're in post-secondary as well, but um, I think a lot of the times, or some of the times, the scholarships are awarded based on grade point averages, your extracurricular involvement, or also your financial need. So sometimes students don't apply or, or even can apply for these scholarships because they don't meet those requirements. But they sound like pretty honorable requirements. I, I think that, that those are reasonable expectations. To, you have to be somewhat exceptional to, to get these It's in some capacity. Oh, definitely. And well, scholarships, I truly believe, are a great resource if you are able to get them, it's it's amazing. But I feel like thinking that, oh, scholarships is a great way to fund every student's education is a little bit maybe unrealistic because not every student is going to qualify for them. No, I, I agree with that. Yeah, it's 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 if everyone got one, it wouldn't be unique. Oh, definitely. Um, number two is be frugal. So again, this this as a student, I think is the most important part of being able to survive university without going into debt. You know, I put this on the responsibility of the parents. It, to, to, you, you don't become naturally frugal, and especially if you come from a, uh, an elite f- lifestyle prior to going to university, it's hard to make that adjustment. So that's on the parents, I think it really is, to instill frugal uh, values in your child. I really like, I like that point, Trevor, a lot, because I think there's this misperception that you can turn it on whenever you want, but you are right. It, frug- frugality is something that should be instilled in your kids long before they leave for post-secondary. Well, and you, you know, you can't uh, shower a, a child in, in gifts and, 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 and meet their every want and need when they live at home and then send them off school and say, you know, you, you have to be frugal now. That's a tough adjustment for anybody. Forget just a student in a new environment. Oh, definitely. And, and again, the frugal at home, frugal at school, will then hopefully translate into frugal in their future. Well, you will at least prove to yourself that you can be frugal if you need to be. Point number three is look for opportunities to make money. And so I, I would lump this into look for opportunities for part-time jobs. And this is where I'm kind of on the fence because I, I really think it's important that a student enjoy their four years at post-secondary, that experience 
meeting the people that, that are going to be important to them probably for the rest of their lives, you don't want to be uh, missing out on, on those experiences too much. I'm not saying don't have a job or a part-time job, but make it, you know, I, I would have it very limited hours. Definitely. And I know that jobs with the university are great for that and that they recognize the student's uh, schedule and are very flexible and it, it's very non-committal. So you can take on as much as you are able to, which is really great. But I do want to say, though, I mean, if this is the difference between going to post-secretary and not, obviously get as much part-time work as you can because I think having a, an education is, is very important. Trevor, on the what you just said, but the difference between going to post-secondary and not, I think, I mean, I think money should not be that determining factor. Well, I know the, the federal government has uh, changed some of the legislation that anybody who makes, I think, then I want to say $50,000 a year or less, uh, their tuition is completely subsidized. In, in in maybe say Canada Ontario I, I I must admit I don't know the specifics but it's something like that now that wouldn't cover your your uh, residence fees or your food plans or anything but your it would cover your tuition so that there is things in place and I know when, when Prime Minister Trudeau was campaigning he was asked I remember in a debate I think it was a debate um, you know what are you going to do for uh, university students on tuition you know we, we and he said he wants he wants to put in something in place that would motivate somebody to go to post secondary that wouldn't otherwise go. So he wasn't going to make it cheaper for the people already deciding to go. He was going to make he wanted to motivate people who couldn't or wouldn't go, so they would. So and I think they've somewhat lived up to that. Definitely. I mean, we do also have to take into consideration at the t- same time that more expensive than tuition usually is residence, the meal plan, and all the other extras that come along with going to post-secondary. Of course, living at home could could subsidize this as well, but I think we also do have to take into consideration that, yes, maybe that government subsidy could be the deciding factor between the student going or not, but there's also a, a plethora of other expenses. Well, and there's also uh, distant, like long-distance learning that you do online. There's, you can take a lot of university programs online, and you might be able to shorten your your time actually at the school to just two years because you you completed a lot of the first and second year courses online while living at home. I mean, that's a way to really get a post secondary education on a, a shoestring budget. That's a that's a phenomenal suggestion. And so on that note, I don't think there should be a real excuse, even debt, for not pursuing post secondary. I mean, excuse maybe is the wrong word, but any any limitations when there are so many options out there and and if we are saying and walking away from this episode saying that debt towards post-secondary is not the craziest thing on to point number three live at home actually i'll lump three and four in together um live at home and graduate in four years so these are i think both excellent points well the graduate in four years i mean that's one that'll i mean if you start changing your uh you know, you go into your first year and you just say, oh, I, you know, I, I signed up for this, but it's not for me. I want to go in a different direction. You can make small tweaks, but if you go from uh, an arts program to a science program, it, you basically lost a year. So it, it it's, that's incredibly expensive. I mean, when you go in, it, you really have to know that's what you want to do. It's, it's not, that's not the time to be changing your mind. And to that point, I would definitely encourage students to, if they're not c- entirely sure, 
what they want to do with their post do at post secondary to take that year off. I know, I know you may argue that, Trevor, but again, from just from the money side of things, not even the motivation while you're in university or college, but the actual money side, it might be more worthwhile. You're saying that too. I, I personally did change degrees as well because it's not always the same as you think it'll be when you get in there. Here's my problem with taking a year off, this gap year it's called, is you've spent your whole childhood, your whole life as, as a kid, conditioning yourself to learning and, you know, studying and, and being conscientious. If you take that year off, that conditioning, that educational conditioning, it falls away like, like you haven't been to the gym in, in, in six months. And, I, I, you know, you ask any older person when they take a... a when they have to learn something new, it is, it's not easy coming. I mean, the older you get, the, the harder it is to learn something new. And that's because you've lost your educational conditioning, your ability to absorb information, your ability to read a textbook and, and, and absorb that information. The, you, you can't just turn that off and on. That is something you, you work at and develop and nurture. So the gap year, I think, is a disaster. Would you say then that the expense on a first year of post-secondary that didn't turn out successful is worth it than taking a gap year. No, the, the solution is the parents need to start getting their child to think about what it is they want to be, do, study at a, at a younger age. You need to be talking about them in grade nine. And everyone says, oh, that's too early to know what you want to do. Well, you know what? It's not. There's a lot of money at stake. You need to get in your kids focused on what is it you want to do, you know, and, and talk about it and talk about it all the time. I mean, don't don't berate them and make it miserable, but make it a topic of conversation whenever you can. And, and one thing I, I would always, if we were out somewhere and you know we'd see a, a doctor or a nurse or a mailman or a, uh, any profession, I would point it out to my kids all the time. You know, see that's that's a that's a that's a that's that guy's job. That's what they do, and you know they had to go to school this long to do that. And I, I would always ask people, you know, so what do you do? And then I would tell my kids, you know, oh, so-and-so does this, and, and this is the kind of education you need. But you just need to, the parents need to talk about it earlier, at an earlier age with your kids. And they'll tell you they don't know, but you just have to keep working it, working it. I, I do have to agree with that, in that the communication about your future is so important. But I do also want to underscore the, the importance of when you go to post-secondary, the degree that you swore you was right for you and that you loved what you wanted to do might not actually be the right fit for you because that was my case. And so luckily, what, I was able to salvage all my credits and I am graduating on time. But so what, it's was, what, was your, what was your original one and what, what did you change to? My original degree was a commerce degree, four years commerce degree. And I, in second year, at the start of second year, I switched over to a arts degree, majoring in communication, minoring in business administration. See, in my world, I call that a tweak. You know, it's not, it's not a wholesale change. You're not going into law or you're not going into medicine, right? I, I'm calling that a, a, a small shift, not, not a change. That's a, yeah, that's, no, that is a great point because... Like I said, I was able to salvage credits. I'm still dabbling in my original field. So I know I do agree with you. And to your point, Trevor, then it is important to ensure that your child is is interested in science as opposed to interested in English and really delve into exactly exactly the area of study that they, they think they'd want to pursue. Well, I have a son who's in engineering. 
and he knew he was going to be engineering from from I'll say when he was in grade nine. He, he 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 was convinced, and I didn't convince him. He was convinced he liked engineering, but he didn't know what aspect of engineering he wanted to go into. You know, there's mechanical, there's structural, there's civil. I'm not an engineer. I'm I'm not pretending I know all the facets of engineering. But where he went to school, the first year in, in university was, I'll call it an engineering general. And then he was able to pick his engineering specialization in his second year. So a lot of programs are set up that way. I know in business uh, uh, degrees, a lot of times that first year is a general business. And then your, your, third, your second, third, and fourth year, you, you could go into accounting, you could go into commerce, you could, you know, it goes in a different direction. It, it, this varies by school. But you have to keep that open-mindedness as well. And I'm so happy you brought up the point because it is such an important point to keep in mind when you are choosing what school you want to go to in that pick a school where the first year, there's a lot of the same first-year courses for every program, such as in, in at my school. Philosophy is something that every first-year student needs to take, essentially almost every first-year student, regardless of your program. So again, that's one credit that I was able to salvage in my new degree. So I think it's very important, again, that now you... We're, we're getting pretty deep into uh, uh, <laughs> choosing educational paths, but I just want to circle this back to what we're talking about is avoiding going to school for more than four years. You know, we're avoiding that extra year or extra two years of education cost. That, that's, where we, that's where we're going with that. But we've been we're sort of circling around in, in education there for a while. So I wanted to just bring it back to money. Not to be our career counselor today. That's, that's not what we're here for. But uh, yeah, the the main point about that is be, if you are taking, say, an extra term with two two courses, they're going to count that as a full other semester. So that's more money you're kind of not throwing away, but that you're just you are throwing away. So I think we've uh, really picked apart this topic. If there's anything that we missed out um, saying within within this episode, leave us a comment and uh, let us know what we're missing out. And we'd love to touch on that again when we uh, do this topic in the future. So I just want to a moment here to say that this uh, this episode is brought to you by Audible, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks. Last last week we recommended Dan Gilbert's uh, Stumbling Upon Happiness, which is a, a fabulous book. This week I want to talk about Dave Ramsey's Total Money Makeover. And this is a, a book on, on how to get out of debt and how to stay out of debt. And it's really a step-by-step plan, and it's a very inspirational book. But this particular one's narrated by Dave Ramsey himself. And he's, I really enjoy audiobooks that are narrated by the author, uh, nonfiction ones, because the, they tend to bring a lot of passion to the book. And he reads it like he wrote it. And when I when I listen to an audiobook narrated by the author, it is so uh, it is it's so more inspirational for me. So the Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey, uh, we'll leave a, a link in the show notes. Um, you if you click on our link, you get a 30 day free trial, which basically gets you one free audiobook. And uh, if you choose to not continue with this service, you can cancel and there be no charge. So. Uh, I'm a huge fan of audiobooks. The beauty of audiobooks is you can uh, you can listen to them while you're driving, cutting the grass, walking the dog, and with these nonfiction ones, like Total Money Makeover, you're being educated while you're doing these things. So it, it makes an extremely efficient use of your time. 
And that is it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And check out the show notes. We'll have the link to this article and our Audible download link. Get the show rating on iTunes. Get connected with us on our social media networks. All of that will be in our show, our show notes. And until next week, keep it simple.